As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer and Latest episode here that podcast ground is presented by the Sun Working for everyone, Paul Andrew J. Morrison of the Athletic. Here in draft season, working for you, Jay. What's going on? It's April. We did it. We made it. It is. It is full speed ahead on draft. Now we've got the college basketball March Madness behind us. Um, opening days coming up, but I, I think there's some tepid interest there in in Cincinnati. So this is. Full speed ahead on on draft prep. We've got plenty of it. We're starting kind of our draft coverage here for you guys. Um, pleased to have Eric Edholm joining us from Yahoo Sports. Love Eric. He's been doing this for a long time. Um, one, one, one of the best in the business when it comes to scouting reports and understanding these players and understanding the dynamics of the NFL and the draft. So excited to talk to him here uh, in today's episode. And uh, our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger, is back. Uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about trust and faith in sports and how the Bengals have earned it and how you view them not just as a franchise, but in approaching the draft and what that means for how you should view the draft and enjoy the draft and and this team at this point. Um, and also, I want to talk to him about a tweet that I particularly enjoyed, and uh, we'll just see where it goes from there. Uh, so, as you know, those are always very fun. So that is coming your way. Uh, we're going to do positional priorities. You know, we've talked through this a little bit, but I want to kind of go a little bit more in depth into positional priorities with this team right now, uh, where they sit and where the draft maybe does or doesn't seem to set up for that. Some trends that we've seen um, in regards to the early rounds and and what that means. So we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. um, And we've got some other treats for you as we go along. So. Uh, Jay, you've got a mock draft up your first, your first, uh, dipping of your toe into the mock draft water this season. Do you feel refreshed? Did it feel good? I, it didn't, it was hard. Um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I, I really do think that that corner is the far more likely pick at 31, but 
I, I just, I, you had done one where you had, you had gone corner and then the beat writer mock where everybody, all of our guys made up or all of our beat writers made a pick for the team they cover. Um, you had the same pick there. I just wanted to see what it would look like if, if they did go O line, if, if as much faith as they have in the young guys, um, if, if one of those guards, um, you know, Green or Zion Johnson were to still be there at 31 and, and they, if they went that route, um, even after signing three in free agency, if, if they load up again and, and just the way it would play out. And it, it made it hard because there are other positions. Like you said, we're going to go through our priorities. There's other positions that are more pressing needs. And if you do that, if you go O line in the first round, you're, you're putting one of those other bigger need spots pretty far back talking fourth, fifth round. And then you're, you're getting more of a dicey pick than, than what you would like there. Yeah. And, and, and I think that I found going through the mock draft process with the seven rounder that I did the first time, you know, it's one thing to say that but you also have to believe in the player there. And, mm-hmm. and I really like Bruce Feldman has a piece up right now. Uh, on our site that's fantastic and it's it he does this every year and he spends weeks talking with the coaches in college football all of his using his unbelievable vast rolodex if you will um of of coaching contacts and, and people in every school to talk about players players they win against players on you know to get a real view of what they look like and, and what they how they value them and there's a lot of really interesting stuff on there about players the Bengals will be looking at. And it's like, you know, you can, where they coaches just talk about how players disappeared and, and they're just maybe not as strong. And this is the point where as the coaches for teams get more involved um, and everybody really starts narrowing down their boards, you start hearing about the guys that teams like and, and boards start to move because people hear different names being valued. And, and, and that's an interesting part of this time of year. And I, and I think that I highly recommend reading through that piece as we talk about who actually would be there on these top priorities. Um, let's go through the positional priorities list. We don't have to spend a bunch of time diving into it, but I think it's good for backdrop for this conversation. Um, if, the player they liked the most on the top of their board was there. You know, I think look at it that way, not on who's going to be there uh, or whatever. We're talking about with the first round pick, and then you're really looking at the first three rounds um, where they would go. Do we have the same number one, Jay? I assume we do. Yeah, I have corner. Yes, I think corner is number one. Okay, number two. Do we have the same number two? This is like, uh, you know, on prices, right? Bob, do I have two numbers right? And then, the, and then they, go, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. And then you, you, you know, and then you, you wait, you wait when you don't. And then there's just that silence. And everyone goes, ah, oh, right. <laughs> Hopefully there's some prices, right? People here in the house. Uh, Jay, do I have two positions, right? What's your second one? Well, now see, I, I, when I made my list here, it was, it was needs. And so we're, we're tweaking it a little bit with, or if their guy was there, because I think defensive tackles, their number two need, but I don't know. They, they just don't have much of a history of drafting defensive linemen in the first round or so, any, or it's been yeah. 21 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We go back to Justin Smith. Yeah. So I, 
maybe maybe I move safety up there and, and flip that. I don't know, but that's a tough one. I'll, I'm, I'll stick with defensive tackle. Yeah, that's what I have. So we have two okay. numbers right. I, All right. I have the same. Now, this again, this is if a guy's there. The, the thing about that is I don't know that there's somebody there. Yeah. I, I don't look at the construction of that position um, in this draft because they're looking for, again, they're looking for an Alario Ganjobi, a BJ Hill. They're looking for that other guy. They're not looking for another DJ reader. They've got Shelvin. They've got Tupo. They've got a bunch of big dudes. Um, they really want that other pass rusher there on the interior. And I just don't see that at 31. Yeah. Now, I certainly see that as somebody they they could probably be find their gem in the second or third round at that position. There's There's more names available there. But this draft doesn't really have that. It doesn't. It at least from from where I sit right now, and you look at some of the names, it doesn't seem to speak to a three technique at, at thirty one. So when we talk about yeah, if it was there, um, it's what they would look for. But I, I don't know that that's going to be available. And then you also patch that in with their history, you more see it being a day two type of a swing or three. I mean, we've seen the success they've had in round four. Now, maybe if they trade back and they have extra picks on day two, then that's where they would go for D tackle. I do. It is a need, and these are all there's. There, it, it's so multifaceted because then you're talking: is it need for 2022 only? Is it need for the future? Yeah, I mentioned I, I was thinking about moving safety up there. I've got safety third. They're fine for 2022. I mean, you 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 feel pretty good about Jesse Bates and Von Bell, but both those guys' contracts are up at the end of. The way they they are right now with Jesse on the, the the franchise tag, both those guys are gonna be free agents next year. So safety may not be a big need for 2022, but it is absolutely a, a big need moving forward. And let's not forget how much three safety they like to play. Right, now, Michael Thomas is here, but you know you would have an immediate role. And then when we talk about some of these guys, I mean, there's a couple. Um, what are you talking about Dax Hill uh, from Michigan? I'll talk about him later with Eric Edholm. Um, or you're talking about even Lewis Seen from Georgia, who are these hybrid types, which, you know, kind of like Trey Flowers played a little bit last year, but a guy who, you know, can be your long-term safety, but is a great third safety hybrid linebacker, nickel uh, safety type, where you could see them going in that direction and filling a need that way, where you get immediate help and potentially long-term help. It's sort of like, remember last year we talked about the second round pick needed to be uh, guard of today, tackle of tomorrow was kind of mm -hmm. the ideal scenario. I think you could see hybrid of today, safety of tomorrow, because um, you never know how it will develop and you assume that you're going to need safety help next year. So somebody like that, you know, pushes you up, pushes that up the priority list. That's where the construction of this draft class and their needs maybe would meet. Um, it, because I don't, I don't see, you know, you never know. You never know how the board will fall, but a pure safety that's going to be a backup in the first round when they have other more pressing needs, I don't necessarily see. I have interior offensive line third. Mm. Um, just because, like we mentioned, it's about the here and now in some ways. I mean, for me, you know, 
You have two quality starters at safety. Yes, you're worried about the future, but I don't know that you're going to have a good left guard this year. They certainly hope so. I don't know about Jackson Carmen or Deontay Smith. I do know about Jesse Bates and Von Bell. So to me, if I'm ranking those two against each other, and if I'm, I'm in a tie of talent that I'm picking between, I might drop another bolster into that offensive line, a guy that can come in, whether it was Johnson or Green, you know, that was there at 31, or if we're talking about Linderbaum and they're sold on him and pushing Karras over, you know, you you could you could buy could buy that ahead of I would buy that ahead of a safety, even if it was a guy um that you really like, like like Dax Hill that can bring you a little extra or if we're talking about scene. A guy who Dame Dame Brugler mentioned in our in our mock beat writer mock draft last week. Yeah, I had O line fourth. I it because I mentioned this in my mock where they where I did have them taking Green in the first round. Where it 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 all harkens back to our no donkey approach. Yeah, it's great that they went out and signed three starters in free agency, but what if what if you have four great and Jonah takes a step forward and you have four great offensive linemen and you've got this huge hole at, at left guard you can't have that and i know they're they're high on jackson carmen they 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 love his his athleticism and what he can actually do physically it's just a matter of of the maturity and and that type of thing learning to be a pro so to speak but there's no guarantee that any of that's going to happen and and same with the other guys it's going to be an open competition and what if, what if nobody steps forward and really plays well, and you've got four above average O linemen and a donkey again, and that's that's what worries you. So that's why I think that that is absolutely in play still in the first round. Is is it's it's not the the top priority because of what they've done, but it's still up there. I've got it at four. You've got it at three. Um, they've got to get another interior guy just to just to add one more piece to that competition to see who's going to be the starter. The depth is important. I mean, are we going to assume that all three of these interior offensive linemen, whoever they are, are going to stay healthy all year? Are you going to be talking about Trey Hill? Are you going to be talking about Akeem Adeniji? Are you going to be talking about Jackson Carmen if he has lost a battle? You know, and and you got to think of it that way. And that's where the Linderbaum conversation makes more sense. Because the idea of Karras getting hurt, and we're talking about Trey Hill, who's not ready, playing center for you is concerning. Now, again, we're talking about injury circumstances, but that's disastrous. And I I think if a guy like Linderbaum was there, you know, it makes so much sense because not only do you bump Karras over to guard as the mm. probably going to be your starting guard, if something were to happen to Linderbaum, you have a solid, strong center that easily moves in there and you can play one of your other people there. It's just, it's, it's one, it's one final chip to really solidify and cover yourself when things inevitably go sideways for a couple of weeks, for a month, hopefully not a bunch of guys on IR, but that's going to happen. And so that's, you know, it goes back to the, you can never have enough a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in this case, when you're really trying to fix this problem, uh, so, I, I, so I have that up above safety for the kind of the here and now of of this window of 2022 and where their where their roster sits. Yeah, Linderbaum, by the way, was not available. I ran several simulations, and on most of them, he was not available at 31. I, I he would have probably been my pick had had he been there on on most of those the 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 
the mocking of the mock um, yeah. to, to, to get to the pick at 31. I find it interesting how many of the really the people that I really trust in our beat writer mocks and and, you know, the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world and Dane mm. uh, have have had him there. And the people that you know that I that I look to every year, the ones um, uh, Eric at home we're going to have on, you know, have have had Linderbaum. He has Linderbaum as his pick for the Bengals. Have had him there. We've seen that consistently through those that I that I really trust looking at the most. And I think that will make for a very interesting decision if that ends up being the case. And a few of the other names at some of these other positions are also available, particularly corner, like we mentioned. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have interior offensive line and safety at four, and then I have tight end at five. I had tight end at six. I had edge. I, I probably would have flipped yeah. that had they not signed Hurst. But um, I, I, yeah, it's that you could flip either one of those. I, I had edge at five and tight end at six. So I had receiver at six hmm. because again, we're talking about depth pieces. Yeah, but we're talking about depth pieces at edge too where you have two starters and a backup. And at receiver, they have three starters, and I don't really know what they have at the backups. Yeah, And and we know how important that is. And bo- they're both important. They're both premium positions. It's close. I mean, they're kind of in – last year we separated it into tiers, and, and they would kind of be in the same tier for me. Um, after that, I have – after those three at eight, I have tackle, and we're getting, then we get obscure running back, linebacker, quarterback, all in the back. Yeah, but I had I had tight end, then receiver, and then I went. I didn't separate interior and then and gotcha. O line and tackle, and so I went linebacker, running back, special teamers, and quarterback dead last. Quarterback dead last. They're good there. One thing I want to point out as we talk about this, and that people talk about with this team, is oh man. It, Best player available. The roster's in a good place. Best player available at 31. They do not have a history of doing that recently. They like to say that. They love to say that. <laughs> oh, best player available, right? But they don't. They, they don't. We, we know what the positions of need are. They are going to value those players for them above other spots. We just have not seen recently them take players from off the off the mark of, of what we know that they need for immediately. I'll go back. This is not about tooting our own horn. This is us reciting the positional priority needs that we knew that they were at the time. 
go back to the the Burrow draft 2020. Uh, our top three positional needs that year were quarterback, obviously, at one, linebacker, two, receiver, three. Their first three picks, quarterback Joe Burrow, receiver T. Higgins, linebacker, Logan Wilson, and we knew they were hunting linebacker hard with that 33 overall pick, thinking Jordan Brooks was going to follow them and end up going to Seattle early. And they ended up going Higgins and then getting Wilson, sweating the Wilson drop. Next year, we know we talked much about last year. We know what happened to number one with receiver with Jamar Chase, but we knew they were hunting what? We had their tier, the second tier. We had offensive line. And and well, we had offensive line in the first tier, and then behind it, we had edge as in the second tier. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did they do? We knew you knew it was going to be an offensive line. I mean, they were they had everything but a billboard in downtown Cincinnati saying we're taking an offensive lineman in the second round. It's just a matter of which one. I mean, that, again, this is this. They did not stray. They went. They go right for filling needs. And you can say there maybe they went best player available a little bit with Chase, but that's not how they sold it. You know, they sold it as what what we talk about of that's the best way to protect Joe Burrow. That's the best way to make the team better. There was a bit of a BPA to that, but there was also kind of a, a belief what they needed most. Um, and positionally, they did need that. And positionally, they, they needed these two. These are, these are recent Zach Taylor drafts play to a T. So when we talk about these positional needs that we're going through, they have a history of doing this. This is how they like to execute it. So then you find what are the names? What are the names that fit? Corner, three technique, interior offensive line, maybe safety. I mean, to me, that's it. When we're talking about the first two, three rounds, these are these are throw the tight end in there. These are where they're they're probably coming from. I, I think the difference this year, because the, the, those two drafts that you mentioned, nineteen and twenty, it wasn't just targeting needs early; it was the early and often aspect to it. Because in twenty nineteen. They, they took Logan Wilson in round three, and they drafted three linebackers. Last year, they took Joseph Osai, third round, drafted three edge guys. So I, I don't know that you're going to see that this year where they they really go after a position that hard. There may be their, their corner. Patented, well, or just corner, TV you, as a whole. I mean, how many TVs will get taken in this draft? You could, Yeah, them? you could see that. Two corners and a safety or one corner and two safeties. Um but yeah, that, that I, I think it's more like you, you might see the the patented double up where they take two of the same in a row, maybe a third day kind of thing. But yeah, I don't I don't know that you, you're going to see that three corners, three safeties, anything like that. What I want to do next is bring in Eric Edholm, who is fantastic, uh, has been doing this for a long time, NFL NFL draft. Uh, for Yahoo Sports, we're going to talk a lot about some of the specific fits for the Bengals, chances of moving back, all kinds of different stuff. And after that, I want us to dive a little bit more into the six of the cornerback position because I think it's really unique to this year. Here's a, here's my conversation with Eric Edholm. First time on the program, which I'm excited about for a number of different reasons we'll get to, but NFL and NFL draft analyst for Yahoo Sports, Eric Edholm. What's up, Eric? Well, first time on, I couldn't come on time, right? I had to make you wait a little, leave you hanging, right? Get some some build up here, but yeah, I'm thrilled. I appreciate you asking. And uh, are we going to do a music pod at some point? Is that is that I, in, the, I would in the works? Too. You yes. are a you're a big fish fan. I was jealous of you because you were a part of the fish 
song mock draft that yes. occurred <laughs> and uh i which i i listened to the entire episode grinded through everything <laughs> and then and judged from afar for sure it was mostly jealous that i wasn't a part of it which i told direct to will brinson's face and, and <laughs> vented my frustration uh but i've got i've got some i got some fish for you here at the end we'll, good I'll just leave that as a teaser like anything you got to tease for it uh that uh, I do want to talk that for a second, but we got a lot of draft stuff to get yes. to. You've got your mock draft is out. People should go check that out. Um, you have a top 100 rankings with a bunch of in-depth scouting reports. Check all this stuff out. It's great. Um, I, I love the work. There's a couple of trends I want to discuss before we talk about players sure. and positions. One thing you mentioned in the lead up your mock draft was sort of a, the lack of clarity around the quarterbacks, which is obvious in this draft. How likely – with that in mind, do you think it is that somebody's going to be trying to sneak into the back of the first round? You know, a conversation we've had a lot of here with the Bengals at yeah. 31 is usually teams are, they will make the deal when they want to move up for a quarterback. Typically, you got to be sitting in the top 10. But right. it's like this has followed the Bengals now because as the Bengals move to the back, now the need to move up to, for a quarterback might actually happen at the end of the first. Yeah. How likely is that? And how do you think the shape of this quarterback class has kind of affected that? Yeah, it, it's a, it's a tricky class. It's probably gotten a little too much uh, guff, you know. I mean, I think everybody was looking at last year and you know the the fireworks names and everything like that. You look back, not, you know, it wasn't they didn't play all that great last year. I, I think this is a less talented group. I think there's probably a clear top five or six, depending on who you ask, and um, you know a lot more backup types in this in this class. But the need for for a quarterback is real, right? I mean, there are multiple teams right now that certainly. You know, Carolina, Seattle come to mind immediately. You know, the Steelers have made their intentions of, of drafting or, you know, certainly doing the work on drafting one uh, very clear. Um, I guess to answer your question, it sort of depends when the first or maybe even the second quarterback come off the board. You know, you've seen mock drafts with Malik Willis at two and and Kenny Pickett at six and, and that sort of thing. It certainly could happen. Like, you know, there's always surprises on draft day, but it really – you know, some people I've talked to that, you know, I feel like have a pretty good grasp on this thing around the league have told me, boy, if, if we get more than one quarterback in the top 10, that's some serious reaching. There's not not everybody's convinced that'll happen. So I guess the longer they trickle down, I think there's a there's a better chance that that kind of thing happens. And I, I think the name to watch, if I had to guess, would be Desmond Ritter, obviously a little local connection there as well. But um I think people have looked at his mechanics and said he's maybe the cleanest guy in this class, maybe even cleaner than Kenny Pickett in some respects. And he's got the athleticism. He's won a lot of games. I mean, is he perfect? No, but he could be the guy I think that wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up going late round one, Matt Corral, Sam Howell possibly. But yeah, I think that to get that fifth year option is really the the goal of teams for quarterbacks to control them longer under more manageable salary. So yeah, 31, 32, I think are absolutely hot spots for that. Do you feel? I mean, there's one thing. We, the one thing that seems to be uh, a lot of people talk about in the draft is obviously this year top ten is not as intense. Keeping away from that, I mean, the difference that you're going to really see between 31 and say a team that wants to trade up 10, 10, 15 spots back. I mean, how different is that player from team to team? It seems like those are kind of the same, but this feels like this might be a good year to do that. Not that there's necessarily a bad one, but this feels yeah. like it might be a particularly good year to move back if a team was trying to come up for a QB. Yeah, you mean the difference between a top 15 pick and down at the bottom of the first round? or 
or 31 to 40. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what right? I mean? If, yes. if a team was trying to come up into the 31 hole and the Bengals gotcha. wanted to move back, how yes. different is that, you know? Yeah, I think there's a lot of talent uh, that's very closely graded in that range. You know, I didn't have uh, a ton of first round grades, like true first round grades. You know, teams will give out 15, 16, 20. You know, there's not 32 every year. So I that was very similar and consistent with what I had. But the number of, you know, second round grades, according to the scale I use, uh, I think is probably in, in some ways similar to what teams use as well, because um, I got sort of taught it by two NFL scouts. So they are, you know, they worked with a team who had that. They're kind of, what the feeling I've gotten is that the the talent between, you know, 20 and 50 isn't going to be vastly different. Then again, I mean, there's not a, a, a great high-end group of prospects this year as well. So yeah, I think it, it's very possible that a team could move from theoretically from 31 to the 40s. Uh, and probably if they had three or four players on their board, they liked at 31, there might be two or three of them still left on the board. You never know. So I don't think there's going to be a huge gap. And I think that's something that, you know, the, those teams, especially the Rams and Bengals, or no, the Rams aren't picking their Lions and Bengals would, would consider. Let's talk about the cornerbacks and particularly, you know, 31. If you're going to look in the guys that maybe would be around at the back end of the second round, the Bengals pick at 63. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got this, the top, the top three have kind of been people, you know, Sauce, Stingley, McDuffie, although you're not as high on McDuffie, uh, at least in your latest mock draft, you haven't been. Uh, I think you get him at 23rd. Yeah. But what, uh, you know, what do you make of that next crop down? Elam, Booth, Gordon. I guess even McCreary, Dax mm-hmm. Hill. You, I mean, what do you make of that next group? And for a you know a Bengals system that is, they like versatile guys. They play a right. lot of different types of stuff. They're not going to want somebody who doesn't like to tackle, you know. And they're not interested in character concerns. They've kind of been consistent with those yeah. those tenants in building this roster. What do you make of that group? Yeah, if if Derek Stingley somehow came down there, right? I mean, he checks <laughs> yeah. off all those boxes. He's not a bad kid, but I just, you know, right? There's there's certainly some some uh, some maturity questions, things like that, injury concerns. So, I don't think he will be. He's working out on Wednesday. We'll see. I mean, if he has a really poor workout, I guess all bets are off. But you're right. I think there's a good chance that three corners are going to be off the board at least, maybe four. Um, Andrew Booth is the kind of player that, boy, you see enough high-end flashes in his game where you say to yourself, boy, I, I think in two or three years he really could be kind of an interesting player and like a high-end number two corner. I mean, that's what I kind of see him as. And, um, you know, he likes to to tackle, and I think he's a, he's a pretty instinctive kid. He's just – he's a little rough around the edges in some respects, but I guess if I had to sort of – compare that development wise, like a William Jackson, the third type, or, you know, that kind of player where you say early on, it might be a little rough, but eventually they'll settle in. So that's, that's kind of what I see. Elam, I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent. I really like some of his traits a lot. I think, you know, you look at the athleticism and boy, he's a big kid and he could press and he can do a lot of different things. I, I feel like his, his feel and coverage needs a little work. Sometimes that, that can happen. Sometimes it can't, you know, and, um, I, I don't quite know what to do with him, but I would guess that he's in that, you know, I would, he's got a range to me. I don't really know if he goes late first or mid second, but that's sort of what I see, um, somewhere in the 30 to 50 range or something like that. You know, Kyler Gordon, another player with outstanding athleticism, you say to yourself, you know, maybe in two years you have something special. Didn't play a lot at, at Washington, 
Um, but they moved him into the slot at the end of the year. He played well. He played well on the outside. You know, he's really got one year of great tape, uh, and it was a shortened year, so it's you know it's a little bit of a risk. But the athletic traits, even while not as special as the testing as everybody thought, I think are, are really good. You know, the thing with McCreary and, and McDuffie is that they're they're going to appeal to certain types of teams that don't care about arm length, that aren't worried about a little bit of an undersized guy that say, all right, we're fine with having a, you know, maybe a nickel corner. I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because they're essentially starters, but 29-inch arms in the NFL, it's hard to find a lot of guys with that arm length that thrive on the outside and are you know, shut down corners unless they have outstanding speed and quickness and everything else. So I'd say it's a good group and I wouldn't say it's a mind blowing one, but I think it's a pretty strong year. And I think the Bengals should have, you know, in that round one, two range, at least a, a pretty, a few pretty good options. I'm I'm interested in Dax Hill because yes. he's, he's a unique prospect in that. Okay. His versatility is part of the selling point, but yeah. at some point he's going to play somewhere. Is he, you know, is he a great slot? Is he a great safety? Is he a great corner? Or is it just the fact that he is maybe a jack of all trades, the selling point more so? Or do you see him as having maybe a a, a chance to be an elite player at one of those individual positions? Yeah, he's he's a really good player. I mean, the more I've watched him, the more I've appreciated him. Usually I do an initial round of, of tape viewing in the, the late fall. And then I, when I'm writing these reports, I'll 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 maybe watch one or two more tapes that I haven't seen or something like that if I can, you know, if I have it available. And every time I watched Dax Hill, he was getting involved. I mean, he was near the ball. He was a hitter. He was versatile, like you said, a great slot guy who can also play deep safety. I know of one team in particular uh, that has toyed around the idea that, hey, if he was here, maybe we'd try him at outside corner because he's got the length, right? Um, you know, he transitions pretty well. I mean, he would take an adjustment. It, it's not like he just sticks somebody out there and he's played a handful of snaps outside, but really, you know, his vast experience has been deep in the box or in the slot. Um, but yeah, he's, he's one to watch. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes off the board prior to Cincinnati. I, I think I mocked him to Kansas city, uh, right before you guys, if I'm not yep. mistaken, but I wouldn't be shocked if he went to, you know, New England at 21 or, you know, the Titans or somebody like that. I could I could see a handful of teams ahead of that saying, yeah, I, I like that. Of course, Baltimore, too, you always, with a Michigan player, you know, with the Harbaugh connection, you always <laughs> you always keep them in the back of your minds as well. All right, let's just take a quick break. A name that always comes up here and ever since it was sort of discussed of, okay, Tyler Linderbaum's going to be great. Right. And then everyone's like, well, yeah, but he's going to, maybe he'll slide and these narratives. Nobody really knows. He's kind of a, he, he's a really, because of his lack of positional versatility, his, people thought that's the reason he might make its way, his way yeah. down to the Bengals at 31. Obviously, you know, you talked about that too in your mock draft. I mean, so many boxes check with him. The one that worries me, and particularly in this division, not that there's one that doesn't have a bunch of big old nose guards, but in the north, <laughs> it's just typically these giant dudes you got to move. The, how much does the size and ability to handle a massive nose guard concern you when every other box really with Linderbaum does seem to be checked? Yeah, it does. That was that. That was the the the, the type of player that I think gave him the most trouble. His pass protection ability is is good, but it needs work too. I, I mean, in the run game, he's an absolute mauler. And even at his size, he can open holes. And, you know, he's great at hitting his landmarks. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll 
work through contact to work up to the second level and just, you know, leverage from wrestler, you know, a guy who took down Tristan Wirfs in high school, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, two years older too, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean, it, they're, like you said, the intelligence, the, the feistiness, the, the, you know, the, the, the play strength and quickness and it's all there, but that is a worry for me. I hesitated putting them to 30 to the Bengals in my mat, in my mock, excuse me, because a you know they signed Ted Karras sounds like he'll play center at least that's you know plan A or whatever but you know I sort of felt like I think he's still a first round pick I mean mm-hmm. I I could be wrong but I also wouldn't be shocked you know the Garrett Bradbury thing I mean he went 18th to the Vikings a few years ago same thing like you could check off every box intelligence competitiveness whatever uh, athletic ability. And Vikings fans are kind of done with him. <laughs> you know, it's it's like he just he gets overwhelmed at the point of attack. He just doesn't have that anchor. And so, yeah, you have a one position player who struggles with, you know, the guy lining up ops him is often going to be 320, 340, whatever. So it, it's a worry, but he's really good on the tandem blocks and things. So uh, yeah, there are ways to coach him ar- around those things. Yeah. Um Another one that the the Bengals are going to be looking at as the depth falls in is is tight ends. You know they mm. kind of they have yep. Hayden Hayden Hurst now as a, a little stopgap. Now that Uzama's gone, but they're looking for a guy in the future, particularly somebody who's got some real receiving ability that Burrow can utilize with those res- actual receiver weapons they have yeah. to really make it scary. What do you make of this class? And is there a guy who in a year who will be the best receiving tight end? in this class in one year from now, starting the 23 season? I think Jelani Woods, but Jeremy Ruckert's a really good receiver too. He's a different type of player. You know, he's more of your, you know, like, boy, I, you know, the more I think about it, I mean, I could see Ruckert uh, being a real nice seam option for them. It depends what kind of player you want. If you want a little bit more of your, um, you know, kind of slot option, uh, who is, uh, you know, not as like monstrous or physical than Ruckert's your guy, but boy, the, the more I watch Jelani Woods, now he's a one-year breakout guy, played at Oklahoma State three years, wasn't ever featured in the passing game, goes to Virginia, you know, they ended up throwing him a lot of balls last year, I want to say 80 or 90 targets and, you know, had eight touchdowns and he's six seven, ran like a, you know, 250 whatever pounds, unbelievable workout at the Combine. You know, the tape matches it up, too. I mean, there's he's he's a little bit of a, you know, I mean, he had his role. He worked the middle of the field, and that was about it. But, boy, it's like you're watching this young guy who was a high school quarterback switched his freshman year to tight end. You, you're just seeing the light come on. You think a guy that big who runs that fast with as good a hands as he has, he's a natural hands catcher. I, I would be kind of stunned if he didn't do something in the league. So I think he's that kind of... Uh, who's the Virginia Tech quarterback who transitioned to uh, the the Washington Commanders tight end? I'm just blanking. Logan Thomas. Logan yes. Thomas, yeah. Right. That kind of a player where, boy, all of a sudden he can go from, you know, sort of zero to 60 as a player. But there are other good ones. Isaiah Likely is a little bit more of a you know, kind of a big slot, if you will. You know, Charlie Collar from Iowa State, Jake Ferguson, some of those guys can have good limited receiving roles. So this is a great draft, I think, for for that tight end depth because I think 
sometime in round three, you're going to start to see a run at that position, uh, maybe early round four. Um, and that's really where I think the strength of the class is. You're going to see some surprise, you know, even a couple of day three kids who end up being good tight ends in the league, I think. Well, that's good news to Bengals fans. I'll give you a chance to uh, stand on the table. A guy that, that you love, that not enough people love, or a couple of them if you have them, whether it's going to be late-round guys or early-round guys, so I can say, well, Eric told you that uh, a month <laughs> ago, so we can make you look good. And then we won't ever mention it again if they suck. So Yeah. <laughs> uh, let, let's see if we can throw a few out there. I'll kind of – I mean – I think Lewis Seen from Georgia should be a first round pick. I don't know that he will be. He might end up going in the, you know, late thirties or early forties or something like that. I, I really think he's a, a terrific safety. So, you know, higher end prospect that's a little bit underrated. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys a little bit farther down the line. Travis Jones from UConn, another guy. I mean, again, we're not talking about somebody nobody knows, but I still think he's gonna be a a, a real tough guy to deal with in the NFL, uh, especially if his assignments are kind of kept simple. He's not going to see as many double teams he did at UConn when they had no talent. Yeah, he's a bull. I mean, he's a he's a real tough guy inside. I think he's going to be pretty special. Um, let me think of a good one that, uh, you know, maybe l- fewer people are in on. Um, I really like Damian Pierce, the Florida running back. He was really underused, at, and, and we saw him at the, the Senior Bowl. And, you know, every time he touched the ball in Florida, it felt like he was doing something. Uh, I think he was, you know, showcased down in Mobile to where you say, all right, maybe he's not Emmett Smith, but we're talking about a guy who I think could be pretty good in the league. Kobe Bryant, you know, obviously won the Thorpe Award, but sort of lost in the in the sauce shadow a little bit. He's got length and athleticism. He's not as dynamic as, as Gardner is, but... I think he could be a really solid number two at some point or, you know, or or number three corner anyway. Um, So those are a few that I like. Let me see if I can dig a little deeper and come up with somebody. I'm just sort of scanning my list here. A a kid I I only recently watched was uh, Zach Tom from Wake Forest. He played left tackle. He played center, unusual combination, but a really smart guy who is more athletic than I realized. So that's one that, that even I think has some Bengals appeal especially if they don't grab one of those, you know, round one offensive linemen or something like that. He'd be a interesting late day two, early day three uh, pick at that spot for depth. So, yeah, there, there's some some pretty good uh, day three sleepers out there that are that are decent. Well, I will I will make sure everybody knows how good they were if it, okay. uh, if it pans out for you. All right. Now, here we, we play a game, uh, one of our many tropes here on the show we, we play run pass or boot which is uh okay. you pick it's, it's basically a ranking one two three you'll either run with something pass it or you're done with it so what yeah. we're going to do is this is uh the people that don't like fish will uh, go ahead and scroll forward <laughs> about five minutes but um so i give you three choices for an encore Ooh, and yeah. you can run pass or boot them uh tweezer oh uh yeah just heavy hitters coming antelope, in big yeah right antelope or loving cup as you as I mean, it's a big. This is a big three. Pretty, I would argue these are probably my three favorites. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's others, but if you had to run pass or boot with those, which which ones? How would you rank them? 
Yeah, if it was a full-fledged tweezer encore, I think that would be really shocking. If it was a tweezer reprise, that's a little bit more common, right? Right. Yeah, I'm calling more. tweezer reprise. So you okay. get, yeah, you get the you get the double up in the sh- you know the one at the, you get the first tweezer at the beginning. Yes. I'll give it to you at the beginning of the second the second, the and then ends. the encore the encore with the reprise. Yeah, that I mean that that is as much bang for your buck as you can get. I think in the fish library, it's like three minutes of. You know, sort of blood boiling excitement. Yeah, Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Now, I've seen some antelopes that have been, so I'm probably going to run with with Tweezer Reprise just because it's it's like guaranteed free money almost. And what was the third one? I'm sorry, antelope and loving cup. Oh, loving cup. Man, that's tough. Okay. I love loving cup, love the stones. You know, I've, I, it's a great encore. We'll sum up a show, but I've seen it a good number of times. So I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to boot that one just because mm. I feel like let let other people have that. You know, I'll, I'll let yeah. <laughs> t- tweezers my run and antelopes my my pass. I Antelopes can be a little bit hit or miss for me. I'm not that picky. Trust me. But <laughs> it can get a little it can get into the crazy and off beer off course a little bit. So I, it is a little a uh, little more inconsistent. I don't know. How, how are you ranking those? I, well, I would have a tweezer. What would be would definitely be I mean, to me. It's the number one thing to hear at the end of a show. My man. Yeah. And just there's just you just know it's going to be pure joy. Uh, yep. And then. I would probably do. I would pass on Love and Cup. I would boot Antelope only because I love Antelope at the end of the second set, or right. like, or even some just something. End I love it earlier to to set yeah. something off, or it really anytime. I like them more in the middle than I do the closer. But I know some people really love really love a, a, an Antelope encore. So I didn't know where you where you fall. It's well, a good, it's a good conversation to have because Absolutely. some have better spots than others. I feel like to make because if you're trying to really put together a true perfect show, yes, I mean you want to have something that feels multiple feels like an encore spots yep. in the middle of the something earlier on that 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 sets it to the next level. I agree. And yeah, 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 it can absolutely be, yeah, because you have to have your highs, and then you bring it down a little bit, and then you bring it back up. And Antelope is a great first set closer, second set closer, even occasionally in the middle of the second set. I, I'm with you on that one. I agree. Well, do you have a favorite show? Do you just have that off the top of your head? Or is that <laughs> that I've hard? attended or that I that just... That you, well, either one. If, yeah. you have, if there's two, if they're separate. <laughs> I, I, it's going to be hard to top... Well, there are two. I mean, two New Year's shows that were pretty hard to top were '95 and the and the Millennium down at the uh, the reservation there in yeah. Florida, Big Cypress. I, I mean, just from a ha- from a being there standpoint, like that was. There might be like better musical shows that I've seen, but both were great in that capacity. Uh, both experiences wouldn't trade them for the world. Glad yeah. I was there. Just showing my age, I'm really old, but uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> Those two, I'll give you one more, one random one. I went to Mizzou. I was there in the early 90s. They came and played Jesse Auditorium. This is 94, four, 94. So it's like, and they did a, a live release. Uh, I forget which one it was, but, you know, live in Columbia, Missouri yeah. at Jesse Auditorium. We were first row for that one. We won the ticket lottery. They picked our lottery <laughs> number. Uh, I bought up the whole, you know, front of the stadium there. The the It's like a little tiny hall. It's like holds 1,400 people. So yeah. to get to see them in a tiny room like that at that time of their career was, was pretty special. That's awesome. Well, uh, 
They they haven't come through Cincinnati as often, but I'm always yeah. I always Indy's such a close drive. It's always yeah. it's always an, an easy one to go and knock out a Deer Creek. Of, yeah, oh, dear, it's it's fa- they've been fantastic there the last few years, which I've, yeah. I've enjoyed. So uh, ho- I, I'm sure you probably have one on the schedule, maybe for uh, yet to be determined. I don't know. Yeah. We should we should make our plans here and see if we can meet up on one of these things. Love I got to figure out like family, but you know, vacations so and much. stuff. It's yeah, with kids, you know, it changes everything. So we'll we'll cross our schedules up here. I love it, Eric. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll I'm sure we'll catch you down the line. Pleasure's mine, man. Thank you. So I've done kind of doing a lot of research on on corners, and here's one we talk about as number one priority at 31, and and thinking about what that looks like. So I I went back through PFF the last three years and charted out outside corners so they didn't play the majority of time in the slot. That's kind of a different mold. You can find slot corners a little bit later. Um, so top 20 outside corners for each season and found any that, that were in the top 20 two of the last three years to become consistent per top end corners. You know, throw an injury year in there or whatever. There was had to be a minimum amount of snaps, obviously. This isn't just somebody who played. The Darius Phillips, 102 great snaps. <laughs> uh, so it left a list of 14 players, 14 corners. I'll, I'll run by the names here for you. Only two of them. You know how hard it is to be a consistently great corner in this league? Only two players have been in the top 20 of outside corners the last three, each of the last three seasons. Can you guess who they are, Jay? Hmm. Let's just say the the top of the draft typically produces the top of this list. Xavier Howard? No. 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 Um, he did not make the list in 2019. Ah, uh, okay. He may have had an injury. I'd, I'd have to go back and look yeah. at why that was, but he did not make the list in 2019. What about Stefan Gilmore? No. Denzel no. Ward. Hmm. Jalen Ramsey. Hmm. That's it. That's the list. So they were drafted fourth and fifth overall, <laughs> you know, and it's like that's the premier, the consistent every year guy, the rest, some here, some now. There's a lot of circumstances to that, but let me go through the list. Uh, and this is by draft order. This isn't by how good they were overall. This is by draft order. Marlon Humphrey, who was 16th overall. Jair Alexander was 18th overall. Adoree Jackson uh, was 18th overall. Tredavious White from Buffalo, who was injured last year. He might have been your three, three in a row. Uh, He had an ACL, I believe. Uh, 27th overall. Now we're into the Bengals window a little bit here. Xavier Howard, uh, 38th overall. Um, Chidobe Uze, 60th. He's been there two of the last three years. Now, the, the the year right before his contract year in Dallas that we talked about where he dealt with injuries all year, mm-hmm. he was off the list. But he was, was 11th and 10th, 11th and 19th and 10th in 2021. Bengals have a nice find there for that amount of money. <laughs> um, Casey Hayward is on the list, but he was drafted way back in 2012. He's the only guy drafted from before 2016 on here. So he's kind of an outlier a little bit, but he's been in the top 10 twice. Carlton Davis... 63 overall in 2018. Shaq Griffin, he was 90th overall in 2017. Jamel Dean, 
94th overall in 2019. DJ Reed, who just signed a free agent contract with the Jets, was 142 overall mm-hmm. in 2018. And J.C. Jackson was an undrafted free agent. <laughs> Talk about your outliers, man. Yeah. That is some outlier crap right there. You don't see you just don't see it. At this position, you know, you go back through this, you've got a little chunk there in the 60s. Most of it comes from the top of the first round. You're guys that are going to be consistent top 20 type guys. Is that what the Bengals are trying to find? Sure, eventually that's what they want it to be. In two to three years, they want this guy to be a number one. If, if you're going there, it's hard to find it. It can happen. You can find that guy. It's hard to find it when you get out of that top that top 20, and certainly when you're talking about making that pick in the, in the second round. Uh, it can happen. It does happen. Uh, but it's it, it's it's a tough gig. And the draft is where they're going to have to get that guy. If they're looking for a number one corner for the next few years, they are not going to be able to spend in free agency next offseason the way they have the last three. Not when you have to pay Joe Burrow and all these other contracts that are coming up. So, yeah, that's that that's interesting. That I, I knew you had to get them early, but not that early. And you know, feasibly that it's, this is where they're going to be picking for the next few years too. They're not going to be up in the top 10 to get those, those guys, the the Denzel Ward types and the Jalen Ramsey types. So yeah, you've got to, you've got to hit on it. And we've seen them do this before. We're really load up every other year, take a corner in the first round. Maybe they go back to that strategy, um, trying to find one or two that, that are going to be long-term answers there. But it's, it almost, makes it more likely hearing those those stats that you have more likely that that corner will be the pick at 31 or is it though jay because here's the <laughs> other element to this will there be somebody there at 31 that is the direct fit for what you're looking for because you have to become comfortable with a pretty significant wart on some of these guys there's the big 3 like we talked about with eric you, you've you've got McDuffie, you've got Sauce, you've got Stingley in some order at the top of this draft. I you know, I, I think it'd be highly unlikely, and you there's probably some concern that we don't know about then if a guy like McDuffie were to slide all the way back to 31. That seems very unlikely. He's those are the big three. The rest, man, you gotta get yourself comfortable with something that you might not like. And when we talk about all these other positions that you can have take shots at that the other needs are you really going to go there and does that mean that somebody that maybe you're pretty comfortable with is still going to be there at, at the end of the second round because they do have a wart that has them dropping down so who's your guy right to me the one with the least is andrew booth of clemson because he's got the physical tools he's a, an elite athlete he's six foot he's got 31 and a half inch arms uh he ran fast enough he played at a big-time program, but his tape last year was inconsistent, very inconsistent. But unlike some of the other guys you're going to be talking about, you know, whether you're talking about guys with 28-inch arms or that didn't run very fast. I mean, when you're a corner, you need to run fast and have long arms. <laughs> like that, Those are two things that you need at that position. It's so critical. And the Bengals value it. And they want somebody also that doesn't have character issues. And they want somebody that's a good tackler over there. They value that probably more than most. They've shown that in who they've brought in in free agency. Um, 
And so are you going to be dealing with – to me, Booth is maybe the guy that has the least that, but you he's got some up and down stuff, and he's got a lot of missed tackles. He's, a, he's willing. He dives in there head first half the time, but he's he's got – Big toughness in him out there, but it's just he needs a lot of refining in that, and he has a lot of missed tackles. So you're going to be okay with that, or you're going to be okay with his up and down tape. But you like Elam, Kyrie Elam from Florida. He's he's again, he's got the size, he's got the speed. So you check those boxes. He's long and sturdy and physical, but he got worse every year by PFF grade. He had a 61 grade last year. Not he not not a exactly an ascending player, at least not in the way that he played. So maybe they have an excuse for that. Maybe they feel like they have an understanding of why that happened. Maybe it was injury stuff. He did have an injury last year against Alabama. You know, but then you get Kyler Gordon. There's some concern about him being raw. Why did he run slow uh, at, at the combine? And he dropped way back. Daniel Jeremiah dropped him way back. Dane Brugler dropped him back. Voice concerns about him, even though maybe he may be the playmaker in a few years. Who knows? McCreary from Auburn. You know, he's probably a second round, third round guy. He's at 28 inch arms. Like, at what point are you just uncomfortable with that? You had Tariq Woolen in the second round, mm-hmm. Texas San Antonio. Does that translate? I mean, he's got he he's got speed and arms without doubt, but he's really, really, really raw, and he's really not interested in tackling. And so, are are you comfortable with that? A guy like Marcus Jones from Houston is an incredible returner. So Darren Simmons is on the table, right? Mm-hmm. But he's a sl- he's small. He's got 28-inch arms. He's 174 pounds. You know, you have you've added maybe the, the comparison of Dante Hall as a returner, but the other comparison I saw was Darius Phillips. And I know that nobody <laughs> wants to go back down that line again. But this is a guy who had nine return TDs. He had six picks. He's super tenacious. He's really willing, but he's probably just, he's so small. He's probably just a slot corner for you. These are all warts warts you have to be comfortable with if you're not picking one of the big three. And that's why it's so hard when we talk about consistency across years to find somebody. Because when you, those guys that don't have one of these, they go at the top. And the Bengals are going to have to be figuring out which one they're comfortable with. And I wonder. I wonder which one that they're comfortable with. And I think that's what we'll maybe learn when it comes draft time for their number one need. I mean, I, I don't think all warts are equal. And, and that's what you 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 don't want a wart of size or speed. Because that's not that's not getting better. But a guy like Woolen who doesn't seem too interested in, in tackling Maybe they can coach that into him, or a guy that has stiff hips, or a guy that has trouble tracking the ball. These, these are elite level coaches that they believe can develop these players. And so, some if they see a wart that they think they can fix, that that makes that guy more attractive than a a guy that they're not going to grow. Their arms aren't going to get longer. They're not going to get faster. Those are things that you just ha- you're going to have to live with through the duration of their career. So that's. That was one of the reasons I, I took Wool in there. Number one, he was that all the the good <laughs> good corners were gone by the time I took him in the second round at sixty three. But it just it feels like a raw talent like that 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 has the speed and the length, the 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 two key things that you need, and and they can they can deal with the rest, and and especially this year where if the guy is a little slow coming on and those warts, it takes a while to kind of wear him down. 
you, you have Eli Apple to fall back on, which is not ideal. You, you don't want him to be your starter, but at least you, you, you have a little bit more comfort where you can bring a guy that does have a ward or two, bring him on a little slower than, than having to, we need a starter right now. You, that not having that mindset helps. That's a really important point. I mean, this is for every, if you take one in the first, you know, you, you are, you're taking a good, you're having a good chance that he's going to be displacing Eli Apple. If you don't have that guy there, you better be comfortable with Eli Apple playing this entire season as your starter, you know, because you're going to have to find someone that's a little bit more on the raw side. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't see them using it, their second round pick, you know, on a corner who, you know, doesn't have at least the raw ability to be coached up, you know, as opposed to the opposite. Maybe you've seen his ceiling in college and it's okay. I think at that point they're probably picking their guy who they see as an ascending player right here. I can, can't count how many times I've heard that phrase from Duke Tobin rehashing a draft. We feel like he's an ascending player. We feel like we are starting to see the best of him and him starting to figure it out. That's what you're going to find if you're talking about a second-round pick, and that might take a year. Think about a guy like Wool. I mean, that might take a year. You know, and, and then you could talk about a guy like Jones who doesn't have the physical traits, but at least today he'd be bringing you something. That would be – He's fascinating to me because he's such a playmaker, and we know how much they want playmakers. And mm -hmm. the people at Houston rave about his energy and, and what he brings. And he's a, he instantly, day one, is one of the best punt and kick returners probably in the NFL. As D Darren Simmons said, I need somebody back there to put the fear of God in another team that's punting to us. <laughs> I, I would say nine return TDs would do that. <laughs> uh, and... And so, you know, you love you love that. And it maybe would take a little bit more time for him to develop into anything as a corner. Maybe he doesn't. But he he has a willingness. He's not soft out there. He's he's tenacious. I somebody like that is really intriguing to me in the second and maybe the third round. That's what you're talking about. You're putting up with a big time wart. A big time one. But maybe you're just you're just betting on the rest being impactful and kind of a bet for twenty twenty two as well with what he can bring you elsewhere so these are some of the decisions and it's like I, I don't know how much that hits them i mean if booth doesn't fall you're trying to figure out or is it gore I, I don't know the, amongst really it's like booth gordon elam i could see them being comfortable with a wart there at 31 certainly i think that depending on how that conversation that consensus fed it out after that i i don't see them taking somebody with 28 inch arms or who doesn't want to tackle from Texas San Antonio, you know, at that, I mean, that's, that's to me, that's when you get to the next level. So there's a, there's a tears there uh, that, that you're talking about. And I'd be curious where, where that all ends up. Yeah. And then the, a good thing about a good point about what you're saying with Jones is maybe they do do what we, what I said that they wouldn't do and, and go after three. I mean, if you're going to get three cornerbacks, then you can do that. You can get the guy that's super explosive uh, as a returner and could maybe be Mike Hilton's backup in the slot because of his size. And, and then you, you take a couple other guys that, that might have a ward or two that you think you can work out and you just, you throw, you play the numbers game. You just throw yeah. as many guys at that spot as possible in, in camp and the off season and see who emerges. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe you take a second, second round fly, maybe a second round pick on, you know, McCreary or Woolen or, mm -hmm. or, or third round on Jones or second round, whatever. And then you throw in a Kobe Bryant mm 
or something like that, you know, for Cincinnati fans that are familiar, who would be a later pick and a couple of swings at it and see which one of, of those guys pans out. I think if you're uncomfortable with it, you're doing it 31. And we'll have plenty more time to get into this. But I find that group really interesting and fascinating. I'll have more on this coming up on the site because it's it's going to be really the most – to me, it's the most interesting discussion um, uh, about the Bengals draft right now. But another part of that is that really you kind of let them go in there, come up with their consensus, and be comfortable with it uh, because the Bengals have maybe in a lot of ways earned that. And that's, I think, where I want to start when we bring in our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger. Good to have Mo back. It's been a little while. It's been a, we, Our schedule was all, all out of whack, so we weren't able to have him on. So we're going to have him back. We're going to keep him accountable on his tweets. That's what's important. So let's bring in Mo. All right. Very excited to bring back after a, a hiatus that was too long. You know, we our schedule was all out of whack for like the last month and a half. Uh, and so now that we're back onto kind of a more of a regular time, we can get back into our regular guests, and that is a good chance to bring in our good friend from ESPN fifteen thirty, Mo Egger. Mo, how we doing? I'm doing great. What's going on, guys? It's good to be with you. It's it's good it's to be long. back, and a good yeah. chance for us to start talking about your tweets again because I miss <laughs> I missed that. It, I felt empty inside, much like I do every time I scroll Twitter. Yeah, uh, but yeah. this is a good chance for us to talk about how you're performing on social media. Jay, did you count up Mo's tweets just from the last week? I was tempted to go back over the last month plus, <laughs> but I don't want to be too depressing this early in the morning. So, Jay, what what do we got? Well, I, I thought this was going to be an easy exercise. I figured off season there there can't be that many tweets, and oh. um, I was I was wrong. I was flipping wrong. Um, there was 154 Whoa! Mo tweets over the last week. Very many of them uh, having to deal with bat flips. That is a new <laughs> track record. <laughs> no, see, I, I'm I'm I, I felt the last uh, month and a half or so sort of free of the shackles of well, if uh. I send this. I'm going to have to respond to this on Tuesday. And so see what happened. I just, boy, was just hitting send with uh, an insane amount of frequency. It was, it was liberating. And now we're back to me wondering, well, if I send that, if I hit send, <laughs> what sort of questions am I going to have to deal with on Tuesday morning? So, so here we are. Accountability has returned, which is unfortunate. Exactly. I kind of enjoy the, the lack of accountability that comes with sure. a, a bat flip tweeting spree. Uh, which, did you get, did that gain anything for you? Did, did anything good come of that? No, no nothing good has ever come from Twitter. No, <laughs> n- nothing, nothing really good has. I've annoyed a lot of people. Uh, I've I've gotten a lot of lectures about sportsmanship. Um, I've I've been given some parenting advice, but no, no. In the grand scheme of things, very, very little good has come from my pro bat flip crusade. Okay, I have one tweet that we'll get to in a minute. I want to okay. start be, w- without since it's been so long. I don't have there's not a specific tweet to get into about the the Bengals question. I want to ask you, um, and it it goes back to something that occurred last week with the Reds, and that was a comment uh, that I believe struck a chord with you and most, uh, and that was hey, have some faith, right? Like yeah. Phil yeah. Castellini saying, hey, you should have some, have some faith with what the Reds are doing. I, I won't make you go into that, um, which I enjoyed your response to that story, <laughs> which, which was a tweet, which was just you saying, we'll be discussing this at 3.05 p.m. on ESPN <laughs> 1530. Uh, but have some faith. How have the last few off seasons 
and the Super Bowl run changed your faith, changed your benefit of the doubt in regards to assessing free agency moves and draft expectations. You know, it's just, it feels like the way we are discussing what they have done and will do in the draft, it feels so different now because it feels like there's just so much that they've proven over the last few years to make you be a little bit more relaxed that you think they'll do the right thing. Could not agree more. That's what they've done over the last couple of years is they've they've accumulated some equity and they've given you reason to believe that they know what they're doing and that their plan is is working. And uh, that, that doesn't mean that you don't question certain things. That, that doesn't mean they're going to bat a thousand when, when it comes to every decision they make. But they've they've earned some trust. The Cincinnati Reds have not. And, and it's a very recent track record thing with the Cincinnati Bengals. But I mean, you know, even looking at their approach this offseason, whatever it was going to be, to a degree, I deferred to what they did last offseason and what they did the previous offseason that helped them uh, build that team that got them to the Super Bowl. And so, you know, Duke Tobin uh, has has earned a degree of, of trust. Zach Taylor has earned a degree of, of trust. This organization has earned a degree of trust. And, and to me, that <clears throat> that's really what the last couple of years have been about, right? I mean, beyond just the mechanics of winning an AFC title and coming this close uh, to hoisting a Lombardi trophy, that to me is what the the last few seasons have been about. Around the quarterback that they have, um, can the people who run this thing prove that they know what they're doing and prove that um, they have earned or that they deserve some degree of the benefit of the doubt, that sort of thing? And then if you look down the street, unfortunately, the Reds track record is very, very limited. And those are facts. I mean, you know, people get mad at me when I mention things that are factual Um, under the current regime, they haven't won anything of, of major consequence. We have waited 26 plus years now for, for the Cincinnati Reds to advance in the postseason. Uh, Those things build up over time. The losing builds up over time. The sort of the ways that the franchise has spent years uh, twisting in the wind, the way that they sort of pivot from one plan to the next on 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 a dime um, at times with no real discernible direction to to which to 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 where they're going. uh, All that has built up a definitive lack of trust that is justified. So it's up to them to prove over the long haul that their plan is going to work. That's not going to happen over the course of an offseason. It's not going to happen. Um, in the first few weeks of the regular season, whereas with the Bengals, look, a, a lot of us were extraordinarily skeptical. I thought a lot of the national you know, narratives about, well, Burrow's going to pull an Eli and that sort of thing. I thought a lot of that was really, really silly and stupid and lazy, and I got tired of it very, very quickly. But the overarching theme of, okay, Burrow's going to go there. He has a chance to be great, but can that franchise take advantage? Can they surround him with uh, the necessary talent? Can they make the right personnel decisions? Um, you were being fair if you were very distrustful of them in that process. I think you're being unfair if at this point you don't go, y- you know what? Um, Duke Tobin is, has nailed it. Zach Taylor has nailed it. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals have nailed it by embracing some ways of roster building that they perhaps shunned uh, a few years ago. So all of that to me has brought me to a point where, yeah, I, I trust the people who are involved in getting this team to the next level and, and sustaining and uh, sustaining the success that they enjoyed last year. And even entering into that next era when Joe Burrow is going to be making uh, an obscene amount of money relative to what he's earning right now. And part of that trust, I think is that they've shown this willingness to change. It's, it's not, yeah. it, it's not so much. I mean, 
six, seven years ago, you wouldn't have said that. You wouldn't have said you trusted them to get this this done. And part of it does come down to to, to Burrow and getting that right guy. Whereas with the Reds, I don't know. There's there's one guy you can go get to build around that's going to build a, a great baseball team. Um, I was, I mean, you you said nothing ever good has come from Twitter. I think part of the reason the Bengals have changed is Twitter, is hmm. fan reaction, is Elizabeth and the job she's done, and and listening to people and and giving the fans what they want off the field. Not so much. I don't. I, I think this would have happened without the all the angst in the fan base, what they've done on the field, but the Ring of Honor, the new jerseys, new uniforms, all the, all that stuff. I, I think has been a direct, a direct reaction to, to their fan base. And I think that's, that's the, the biggest reason for, for people to have faith or to put trust in this organization is that they are listening when for years, for decades, it didn't seem like they were. Yeah. They, they seem engaged. Uh, th- they seem to have established a connection with, um, with fans, both hardcore old school fans and, people who are newer to the party. And uh, that's been uh, the, the, the way that the, the roles have sort of flipped. I think Paul, you talked about this with me last week. I think that the way the roles have sort of flipped and, and the reds have always had an extraordinarily good social media game, but that franchise in many respects feels kind of detached from its fan base. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Bengals seem fully engaged and uh, attached uh, to its fan base. But, but at the end of the day, the thing that matters most is winning and this, this franchise almost overnight turned into a winner. Um, and they certainly appear poised to, I'm not sure go back to the Super Bowl because that's really hard to do, but at least be in the conversation. They're going to matter. They're going to be relevant, but, but yeah, they have evolved. I mean, even in terms of roster building free agency is now a big part of what they do. Uh, they go out there and they address concerns um, by using a modern method of roster building. The, the Chase Soul thing to me was an example of the Bengals embracing a more modern way of building their team, taking Evan McPherson in the fifth round. I mean, these are things that like hardcore old school football people were like, dude, you take it all alignment first. And why would you draft a kicker? And the Bengals did those things. And, and there was a payoff. Um, even some of the, you know, more under the radar roster moves, they got it right with Trey Hendrickson, Nothing against Carl Lawson, who couldn't play last year, but they, they got that right. Even like the, the Jesse Bates thing, I'm sort of deferring to him here, right? This franchise that typically has kept its best players at fair market prices, for whatever reason, uh, there's a disconnect between them and Jesse Bates. We all like Jesse. We love how he played in the postseason, but all right, the Bengals have earned kind of the benefit of the doubt here. What do they know about Jesse that the rest of us don't consider? What's involved in the process that the Bengals that's causing the Bengals to sort of back away from the idea of you're writing him a blank check. And then what's their plan moving forward? Their recent success has at least allowed me to look at that situation from the standpoint of, all right, as much as I like Jesse, I'm going to defer to the Bengals here and assume that they're handling this the right way. Those are the, that's the benefit of the doubt that you gain by having success. The Cincinnati Bengals are enjoying that right now. They're at least enjoying that with me. And the Cincinnati Reds, quite frankly, do not get that benefit of the doubt and won't until um, whatever their plan is starts to show um, a tangible payoff. The the Bengals it became trendsetters, you know, with the Chase Sewell thing and the way it paid off and the way it played out. And I thought that showed 
directly in the way that you saw the wide receiver market skyrocket in free agency this year of man, maybe maybe everybody should be building around receivers instead of offensive tackles and that was a very, that was a micro debate amongst a bigger picture roster building topic but how can you not connect those two everybody is now over investing in receivers the tackle market the guard these markets they they were okay. They stayed the same. What it what changed? Well, people saw the difference that a truly dynamic receiver can make for your quarterback and for everything. Not that, that wasn't known, but showing that that's they're on the they were on the front line. They were really making one of the first really bold steps of that uh, with the, their selection of Chase and passing on offensive line help when they needed it. And we very much documented that modern sense of thinking that they took a chance on last year and that that type of stuff is to me why draft season should feel more fun and less dreadful because you know you have a group that is that understands modern modern football that understands it's not that's willing to stand on what they where they see the game going and how they view the game and proving over and over again that that will pay off. That's just so different from who they kind of have been, and it's certainly different from anything that we've seen down the street. With, well, with and, the and if you go back to a year ago, the plan was, and you know, maybe nobody ever came out and said this, but it, it was, all right, he, here's, we understand we have a weakness on the offensive line. It's not going to go unaddressed. We feel like this wide receiver can be a game changer. And we feel like with him, our offense can take a major leap forward. And with the natural progression that comes with the quarterback in his second season, um, more guys getting open. Our quarterback is going to do a good job of staying upright. Now to a degree that only worked to a certain extent because he still got sacked more than any quarterback in the NFL. And we all saw what happened in the postseason. but there was this sort of implied, um, acknowledgement that we know we got to get the offensive line better. Let's, let's see if we can take this step forward with what we're doing this year. Let's try some incremental upgrades. And then next off season, then we're going to get to work on the offensive line. Well, in the short term, it worked. Jamar chase was unbelievable. Joe Burrow at least played every single game and they came this close to, to winning a title. And now, okay. Uh, you said what you were going to do last off season, but remember the offensive line part, what did they do? I mean, Two minutes into free agency, there's Alex Kappa, right? It's it's they in a, in a way they delivered on their promise that what we are going to do can pay off in the short term. But trust us, trust us, we're we're not ignoring the offensive line. We're just we're kind of putting it off a year, okay? So bear with us. And then, okay, here we are a year later. What do they do? Three free agents, all below the age of thirty, two of whom who have won titles in uh, on the offensive line. That's so, yeah, when when you say what you're going to do and what you do, what you're going to say, you earn trust. The Cincinnati Reds, over the course of how many years, they say they're going to do a lot of things. They actually do very few of them. And I can't say that right now about the Cincinnati Bengals. And that is really refreshing. Um, I want to go to a, a tweet that you may have predicted that I would bring up here. Uh, and it, it, it's, it spans some, some good debate that I, that I enjoy. And I felt like it was, this is a good chance for you to further explain. And, uh, that is, by the way, if I ran the universe, here's when every sporting event I care about would begin mm -hmm. Monday through Thursday at nine o'clock, okay. Friday at seven 30, Saturday yeah. at four Sunday 
at noon. Now, Jay and I have been very open about Sunday at one. There's just nothing better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're really bemoaning the schedule coming out this year, knowing that there will be very few Sunday at ones left for us. And that's sad. Um, that's strictly selfish. I understand why fans like different times, but from my perspective, it's great. Nine o'clock. Monday through Thursday. You like the late. This this spawned from everyone doing the yearly, the annual complaining about the time of the national championship basketball game, which is ridiculous that it starts at 920. I'm waiting for one shining moment as it bleeds over midnight last night. Uh that said, the 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 late the late Monday through Thursday. That's that's a late start for us East Coasters. Well, not unlike you guys, I'm merely thinking about myself, right? So, yeah, of first of all, um, I, I'm I'm always and I put this on Twitter last night. It's always interesting to me how people seem surprised that the title game starts at nine twenty. It's literally started at that time every year since 1983. I, and and I, it's awful. And I fine. The first national title game that I can remember was '86, Duke and Louisville. I watched it at my grandparents' house. I took a nap because suddenly I was like this basketball dork at eight years old. I'd watched the final four, which was Kansas, Duke, Louisville, LSU. And I wanted to watch the title game. My grandparents made me take a nap. The game tipped off at nine, nine twenty, something like that. Right. So I remember that I went back and looked before I sent my tweet going back to 1983. You can look up old TV listings. You can actually go down a pretty deep wormhole in doing so. Um, Starting in 1983, the game tipped off a little bit after 9 o'clock. From 9 to 9.20, CBS would always air prelude to a championship, and then the game would tip off at 9.20. Now, I understand it less on TBS because CBS wanted to keep intact their 8 to 9 o'clock block of normal programming on Monday nights. I don't know what TBS show. Is it Wipeout? Is it uh, the the three practical <laughs> Joker guy? Uh, Friends reruns. Uh, I don't know. Andy Griffith reruns. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, so I, I understand it less at TBS. But but again, I'm I'm about me. Okay, so I stay up late. I'm a night owl. I also get off work about six fifteen. Okay, I get home around six forty five. My daughter goes to bed between eight and eight thirty. So in that like tiny crunch of time, um, and and this I deal with this often during baseball season. The game is on, but you know I'm, I got we got dinner, we got family stuff. I'm trying to be a, a a somewhat decent dad, and so I like it when uh, I can put her to bed. And this is why I love like Monday night football and Sunday night football. I put her to bed. Game's on. Now you've got my attention. So start and I don't get up super early. I, I just I'm I'm not yet. We're not yet at kindergarten age. So my daughter just sort of sleeps till she wants. And then we go to daycare. And even when she does go to daycare, sometimes I go back and take a nap. So again, I'm, this is for me that I know this doesn't work for everybody. This is for me. So uh, I got some pushback, but again, this is if I ran the universe. Now, if I ran the universe, I may say there is no school the day after a championship game. If I ran the universe, we may say school is like, a 90-minute endeavor three days a week. I, I haven't thought that deep. I haven't crafted my universal rule <laughs> agenda. But if I did run the universe, yes, at not everything would be tailored around me. Everything, literally everything on the planet. If if that's not the case, why be the ruler of the universe? So, <laughs> yes, yes. Nine o'clock, Monday through Thursday. Give me a little bit earlier on Friday because I want to build in some time to maybe pursue a post-game activity. And uh, I'm a big, big proponent of day games on Saturdays and Sundays. And I, I mentioned noon on Sunday, 
you guys have covered the Bengals for, for a very long time. There's nothing better than a central time game. The game kicks off at noon and you have that extra hour on the back end, maybe to go home, maybe to go do something. It is marvelous. So yes, I'm a hundred percent here for noon games on Sundays. You have not been out with us on the road on Saturday nights. So no, noon is not a great start time. Uh, (laughs) It's usually the later, the better on Sundays. I always enjoy if you're in Vegas and you wake up and you got the 10 a.m. Everything starts at 10 a.m. It's just keep it rolling. It's like there's there's no (laughs) downtime. That's what I, I love about when you're if you've ever done the Vegas trip for a Sunday NFL week. Maybe the happiest day of my life was I was in Honolulu for the Hawaii Bowl which that game itself could not have been more miserable. Uh, the Bengals, this is 2015, so they're good. Uh, McCarron's playing quarterback. I think it might have been his first start. They're in San Francisco. And so I found a place that carried NFL games, every NFL game. The Bengals were a 4 o'clock Eastern time kick, which meant that bad boy started at 10 a.m., which means the 1 o'clock game started at 7 and Bloody Marys were poured at 6 a.m. And all the games ended. The Bengals won. They beat San Francisco. So the game ends. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's a beach. Why anybody would choose to not live there who loves sports and Bloody Marys and the beach, I have no idea. That might be the happiest day of my life. The Bengals won. I'd watch a full day of NFL games, and now I'm sitting on the beach at 1.30 in the afternoon. These people in Hawaii don't know what they have. So, yes. Now, if I ran the universe, uh, maybe I would live in Hawaii and rule the universe from there. And the, my 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 game time schedule calendar thingy would be a little bit different. But uh, if I have to have a perch in the eastern part of the U.S., yeah, I want the Monday through Thursday games to start at nine o'clock at night simply for me. Like, I love West Coast Reds games. I love that. Feels like a little intimate community. We're all sort of up together. Everybody else is in bed watching the Reds and Padres or something. I like those. I will. Uh, I'll. I also be happy that you don't rule the universe because if you. If the good news is that um, I'm assuming your wife doesn't listen to this podcast <laughs> and hear that the greatest day of your life just involved you, not her at all, or you know the birth of oh, your she daughter. Knows this. Or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we had a conversation. First of all, I've been I've been married twice, as as you well know. We had a conversation once. Uh, we had a very low key second wedding, and I said, "I'm just going to be honest with you. When I'm asked what the greatest day of my life is, this will make the top ten. I don't know that it'll be the greatest day of my life. Now, my daughter being born was a little bit different, but there was also I had to wear uh, fatigues and the, the, the there was blood. I, so uh, <laughs> in Hawaii that day, no blood. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Bloody Marys, but that's as Bloody close Marys. as I got. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm very, very transparent about that to her. So, <laughs> top 10 day, top 15 day, sure. Best day of my life? I don't know. It's I no really 6 a.m. Bloody Marys and afternoon on the beach. I, I feel you. I feel fact, you. One I, day, I appreciate your honesty. Here's what I'll do on Twitter one day I will rank the top 10 greatest days of my life. And I'll, oh. I'll give both wedding days, for that matter, very serious consideration. But, uh, I don't know that it's going to be number one. Bloody Mary football at 6 a.m. in the beach at 1 p.m. in Honolulu as we're getting ready to watch Tommy Tuberville get his face kicked in by San Diego State. That ranks as a pretty damn good day.
Your daughter's going to play this clip when she puts you in a home a few decades from now. <laughs> a few years from now, to be honest with you. <laughs> Mo, it's been a pleasure. I, wait, you came back with a vengeance, and uh, next week we'll we'll get further into that. Uh, what your universe actually would look like in some other aspects. I look forward to that. That'd be, that'd be great. Thank you. All right. Always good hopping back on the tangent train with Mo Egger. One of my favorite things to do is to start the conversation and see where it goes. It's a, it's a fun ride. It always is always interesting. I, I, I don't, even if you tell your wife that up front, you still, you can't say that that's, that's gotta be one of the, I mean, for me easily the, the birth of my kids and the wedding day, or that's, there's nothing, there are no happier days in my life than those days. You know what? I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a bit of a hot take on this. I I'm with Mo in one respect. I think the actual in the room birth of the kid there, the, 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 the bloody, like the moment, all of that is very, and they're just, they're a baby and they're just kind of like, they look like every other baby. And to me, the moments is more like when they, when they start to develop a little bit and you get the first, maybe when you take them home or, you know, the personality starts to show up a little bit as they get a little bit older. Those are the days I think are about the actual day is very stressful. It's very intense. And it's, it's, it's now I have a kid, right? Like now, now I, now I have a child, right? But it's just, it's this child that's over here underneath this lamp. And, <laughs> uh, and I'm supposed to just all of a sudden be like, yes, this is the greatest day of my life. It's very, it's up there, but we're talking about greatest days. Like there's a lot of stress and intensity and worry involved in that greatest day. Like I kind of want, I'm kind of like it with Mo a little bit where I kind of want my greatest day to be a little bit more beach, you know, a little bit, <laughs> little, little bit less stress. Uh, that's all. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't mean that I, that the days since have not gotten better every single time since then. And I don't care about my kids. Of course I do, but it's a lot of stress and intensity for that to be the best day of my life. There is. And, and so our first was a C-section and nobody prepared me for this. I, I think <laughs> they just reach in and get the baby and it's over. No, they take out just about every organ you can uh, imagine. And I was, I'm kind of squeamish for that. I thought I was going to go down. I thought I was going to pass out and I didn't, I held on, but I just happy slash memorable it, it all kind of rolls together and it, it even despite that despite as tough as that was to watch and then the second one was was a normal birth and it was not just the happiest day but it just the you know if so, many of you listening have been through this those that you of you that have not you you do need to be in that you will have a whole new respect and appreciation and love for your wife watching her give birth it's just it's it's life-changing i would agree i would agree on that part another cool one is with the second was when your first meets the second. It's yes. very cool. Come to the hospital. And, and that, that was one of my favorite moments ever um, when, when that occurred. Um, but all that said, now my, now the other thing is I had back surgery three weeks <laughs> after the birth of my first, because I could not walk in the hospital. I had, I got wheeled out of the hospital in a wheelchair next to my wife also getting wheeled out <laughs> of the hospital in a wheelchair because I could not walk. I couldn't barely walk to the cafeteria. I was I thought I was going to be stuck in the cafeteria and have to sleep there at one point because I could no longer walk anymore because I had ruptured a disc in my back. It it was not a good scene for anybody. I could the 
the nurse who delivered the baby was like, if I could prescribe drugs to you right now, I would. I just can't do it. I'm not allowed. You need them, though. <laughs> it was very <laughs> concerned for my well-being. And I'm like, just focus more on her. I will find a way through this. Uh, so I was really sad. So to, to put all of that circumstance into a, a best day ever, I'm saying there's a, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pain. Just, that's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to discount the awesomeness of the day or the awesomeness of my firstborn child. It, it is incredible. However, I'm with Mo a little bit on that. I'm with Mo a little bit on that. Please tell uh, me there's a picture of the double wheelchair. Oh, of course there are. The funny thing was we got wheeled out by somebody. The guy who wheeled us out, he he looked like he was in Duck Dynasty. Like he had one of these really big, long beards. And I was wearing, at the time, FC Cincinnati was really new. And I had, I think I had an FC Cincinnati shirt that I was wearing that day. And he asked me if I was on the soccer team. And I was like, the professional soccer team? Sir, I am... At a point in my life where I'm hurting my back just hanging out here and I'm getting wheeled out of a hospital. You think I play on a soccer team? Do I look? It was just, it was very funny. It was very funny. But so there's a picture of Duck Dynasty Man wheeling us uh, out of the hospital together. Yes, it, it, it exists. I believe it's prominently displayed in our hallway, actually. So you can find that. All right, Jay, this has been fun. We'll be back next week. Um, I always hate to promise interviews that I haven't done yet, but we're scheduled to have uh, Mike Renner from PFF join us next week to go into the PFF side. Uh, of course, their their scouting or their draft report is awesome. I highly recommend being a subscriber to that just just for all the, the deep info that they give. It's uh, an incredible resource. So we'll have Mike in and talk a little about the PFF side of things and dive even more into it from a Bengals side as, as we get closer to draft time. Uh the Beast is supposed to be out later this week. Very excited about that. Dane Brugler's talk about reference material. Man, unbelievable uh, what that is. The best, it's the best thing going. We'll have him on the show, of course, later this month. And uh, But The Beast is out. And, of course, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you get The Beast. So if you're a subscriber, congratulations. If not, now is the time. We still have $1 deal going on, $1 per month. So uh, go check that out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you next time when you hear that podcast ground. Have a good one, everybody.